Praise the Father and the Son. What a beautiful day. When did the Father and the Son decide that this should be a part of our life? The first verse, if you will, that I have. Um, Matt and uh, someone else is passing out my thing so that if um, I don't make it all the way through it, or if, uh, you know, after all that good, wonderful food, you kind of nod off, you'll have something to go home with. And uh, <clears throat> I hope that it'll cover a little bit, because this is an introductory sermon to one of the most interesting and profound things that God has provided that he gave his son a Passover. And there we're going to learn about the next thing, the days of unleavened bread. The, oops, where's that first one? Genesis 1.14? Ah, there we are, right there. And God said, and it's over there too, by the way, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Well, unfortunately, uh, that word seasons, which we think of as, you know, <laughs> spring, summer, fall, and winter, really is the word moad, or morbidim, or however you want to pronounce it. It does not really mean the seasons. Um, this is Strong's Light, and it's age 4150. It is appointed place, appointed time, a meeting, an appointed time. Sacred season, a set feast, an appointed season, appointed meeting, appointed place, appointed sign or signal, a tent of meeting. That's what we're at today, a tent of meeting, a sacred time, an appointed meeting. That's what God has called us to. It's a high day. It's a double high day. It's the Sabbath, but it's also the first day, and I have made the mistake of calling it leaven, unleavened bread. First day of unleavened bread. There is a tremendous history in God's Word as He worked out this plan, because it is a plan of salvation that he had been working out, as it says here, so that he could show us on his days that plan of salvation. And this is the beginning, the Passover that we took, was the beginning of a new season of God teaching us time and time again of his plan of salvation. It is interesting that that plan of salvation really began with one man. One man. And that man had a vision. And that vision would not come true for a very long time. And at the time that he had the vision, there was no way that he could imagine what was going to happen. And then he would even go to his grave and never see it, except someday in the kingdom. And that man was Abram, 
who later God called Abraham. In Genesis, the 15th chapter, this is a tremendous... I mean, he's called the father of the faithful. He's called the father... He got up out of his... God called him, and he got up out of his own country and left it and began to wander in the wilderness. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I hope when you read these, because Abram has been dead for a very long time. I hope when you read words like that, you take it internally yourself. Yes, he is my shield and my great, my exceedingly great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to, you, to me you have given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be your heir. But he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now, forward toward heaven, and tell the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your seed be. You imagine (laughs) old he was, and his wife old she was, with a promise that he had given of an innumerable seed, innumerable seed, innumerable progeny. And he believed the Lord, and he counted and it counted him to righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord that brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and and a young pigeon. And he took of him all these and divided them in the midst and laid the pieces uh, one uh, against another, but the birds divided the heat not. And when the fowls came uh, down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away, all this uh, food out there, and so he said, drive these away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge afterward shall they come out with a great substance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come out again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God's planning, and you can see it throughout the scriptures as he begins to plan and put forth his plan of salvation, his plan for the future kingdoms on this earth. And it showed forth in his holy days. Let's go to Exodus, the 12th chapter. 
And let's begin in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron of the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. It was called Abib, the green ears. And it comes around in March or April, depending on um, the, if you're in Jerusalem, depending on the weather at that particular uh, time. And, of course, the priests were able to tell those things. But this year, you know, we now have it calculated. Speak to you and speak you to all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month you shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of, um, of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for, for the lamb, let him and his neighbor uh, next to his house take it, according to the number of the souls every man, according um, to his eating, shall make uh, your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats. Right there. That points to Christ. A lamb without blemish, a male. Innocent, because he was without sin. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it, strike it on the two side posts, on the upper doors of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat of the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden in all with the water, but roast with fire, its head with its legs, and with the uh, 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 entrails thereof. Uh, I won't try to read that word. <laughs> I'll get it wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's see if there's another one in here. Matt didn't wear it. looks like one that's not been opened. Excuse me just for a second. I think my reading makes me very thirsty. <coughs> Let nothing of it remain until the morning. That which remains until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land. Not the green fog, by the way. For all those who have watched the Ten Commandments. <coughs> said, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. And will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. What did he tell Abraham, who was called Abram at the beginning? What did he tell him? He told him, I would ex execute judgment upon them. And here it is. Many years later, 400 and some years later, he is executing judgment upon them. This will be the final plague. It will kill all the firstborn. <clears throat> and the blood shall be to you for a token of your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not um, be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be to you for a, a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. <clears throat> you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now, the Passover, we know, 
We've kept the Passover as Jesus has showed us. And, and he is our Passover. The Bible says Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. When the Israelites, they had to, put, they had to find a lamb, they had to uh, bring it in, and they had to sacrifice it themselves. God chose his son to be sacrificed. Christ has been sacrificed for us. Now, this is the ordinance. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And the first day there shall be a holy convocation, a holy assembly. We're here, the first day. This is the holy assembly. God is here. He is witnessing you and I, worshiping on his day, praising him in song and worship. It shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for in this selfsame day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations from or, uh, by an ordinance forever. And it goes through again. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until the uh, 1 and 20th uh, day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eats that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he be a stranger or born in the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your houses. And then he, he, he re-emphasizes, uh, for those of you uh, that think that uh, because this is God talking, mine are all in red, and it stands out. I mean, literally stands out. I mean, I have to stand back because it, it really stands out. You shall, shall, shall you eat unleavened bread. All your habitation shall you eat unleavened bread. Seven days. Now, let's go to, I'm skipping a lot of story here, so let's go to 14. <laughs> God frees Israel from bondage. Now you, you see the types. Imagine, think about the types that we have here. Um, Moses was a type of Christ. Bringing the Israelites out of bondage. Now, God did the work. <laughs> he, he, he did the work. But it was Moses that led them out, that brought them out of there. Just as our, our Savior has brought us out of Egypt, of sin, of those things that were burdens. We were slaves to that, as the Israelites were slaves to that. They were slaves to Israel, I mean to Egypt. Now beginning in verse, uh, let's, let's pick it up in verse 9. We know that the Egyptians said, uh-oh, they've escaped, let's go get them. Uh, this can't happen, we've got to have slaves. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, overtook them and camping by the sea besides Pi-Hiroth before Baal-Zephon. 
And when Pharaoh drew near to the children of Israel, lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said, Moses, because there's no graves in Israel, I mean in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore have you, uh, wherefore have you dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we tell you, told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it has been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Every time I read that, I think about these individuals that saw all the miracles of God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, tremendous miracles. They were right there. They saw all the miracles. They saw what God was doing. They saw those miracles. And I think by the time they got to this point, wouldn't you think that they would have tremendous amount of faith in what God was doing for them? And yet all they could see was the armies standing there ready to, to destroy them. That's all they could see. And they said, oh, we're so afraid. I, I just wish we'd have never left. Sometimes, do we feel that way in our own life? God has brought us out of this world, given us this opportunity to, to uh, you know, have eternal life. Do we really want to work, go back into this world that we see, that we're seeing all around us, and we really understand what's going on out there? Do we really want to go back into it? Do we really want to be like the rest of the world? Do we really want to go back and understand that, you know, the resurrection has to do with bunnies and eggs. I mean, I, even when I was young, I had a little bit of a problem with that, even though my mom and dad took us to uh, church and, you know, we did all kinds of things. But I still have a hard time understanding how they can use the word Easter, which is Asteroth, the goddess of fertility, when in the Bible, if they just went and looked, it really is pasta, which is Passover, and not Easter. But, anyway, that's neither there nor there. God has brought us out from that um, darkness and brought us into the light of the Word of God to bring us into His Word, to help us to understand this Word, and to help us to understand that we don't have to be afraid, no matter what is out there in the world, no matter <laughs> what's happening, we have come out of it, and we have a great hope. And that is what God was showing them. All of this power he was showing these, these people, and they, they just didn't see it. Moses said to the people, Fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We can say that today. No matter what our trials are, we can say, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Because he will, he will come and help us through all of our trials, all of our temptations which he will show you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and, shall hold you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Wherewith cry you to me, speak to the children of Israel that they go forward and lift up your rod and stretch it out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry uh, ground through the midst of the sea. And I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. 
and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Joel Brenner didn't win, let me tell you. God got his honor off all of them. All the went in that water were, were died. What died. They were, um, the water fell over them and killed them all. God got his honor over them. <clears throat> it's a powerful message that we can give to our children if we will. But no matter what's the challenge, once you pass through that the watery grave, Baptism, if you, you know, you have that great hope that no matter what the challenge in your life, you have passed through. You are the new man. You have come out of that uh, watery grave now, and you have a new life. And God is with you in everything you do. In Exodus 20 and verse 20, just one verse here. We all know that when they finally got to the to the base of Mount Sinai. God gave them a powerful, I mean, he spoke to them. And it rumbled and it roared and it, it was so powerful that the, the Israelites were scared to death. And he's, in verse 20, and Moses said to the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be upon you, on your faces, that you sin not. We also should fear God for promises that are given to us if we should turn back. That's the point. That's, that's, um, that's, that's a powerful scripture. Moses said to the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. In Exodus 31, and verse 13, it says, get the right one. Oh, I'm wrong verse. He said, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to you to the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbaths, that's plural, by the way, that's not singular, my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. I am the Lord that does set you apart. And you do feel set apart when you start keeping the Sabbath and the holy days, don't you? It is a revelation to those who God's eyes are opening. And he shows us the truth in this word. And it's like, wow, the light comes on. The truth is there but now I'm swimming against the rest of the world because they don't see it. They don't see it at all. Or they refuse to, to acknowledge it. But because God says, these are his, you shall keep the Sabbath. These, uh, and he said, and Verily my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign. It is a sign. So we are a part of that. And of course in Leviticus, the the 23rd chapter. 
we find we find something so profound and it's been there all along and it's all it's you know I, I Protestants probably read it a little maybe not quite as much I'm sure they read it occasionally um, some churches have even given up the Old Testament altogether and only only read the New Testament uh, it is the, what God has laid out in his plan of salvation for all of mankind. And it starts right here. Understanding this helps us understand the plan of God. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them concerning the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. Even these are my feasts. And if I remember, and let me let me go over here to this real quickly. Um, come on, give me. Oh. Well, maybe I'm not going. Oh, I know what I did. There we go. Um, let me just jump in real quick here. Verse one. Um, Again, concerning the Moed of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my Moeds. <laughs> they are, yes, he does use the word feast in there, and yes, it does mean feast. But in this, these are appointed places, appointed times, these are appointed times that God has called us to gather together. To come for a holy convocation. It's holy time. Um, from the very beginning, God set these up so that he could bring his chosen people, the ones he's called out, into his kingdom. By keeping these days and understanding these, these things, our hope is the kingdom of God. So, the Sabbath, six days you shall work, be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest. A holy convocation to you shall do no work therein, as is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. And so every seventh day we keep the Sabbath. These are the feasts of the Lord, even the holy convocations which you shall proclaim in their season. So we do. We proclaim them every year. We start with Passover. And we proclaim it all the way up to the seventh month when we keep the Feast of Tabernacles on the last great day. So we proclaim them year after year after year. And we preach them and we teach them to the best of our ability. Poorly sometimes, but to the best of our ability. These are the feasts of the Lord. Uh, in the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And then on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. The Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. I don't know if I can emphasize that enough. It is not to me. It is not to the church. It is to the Lord. He is the, he is the one that we are celebrating. He is the one that we are praising. He is the one that we give honor to. 
to the Father, to the Son. Even seven days, you must eat unleavened bread. I think there's several times this is reiterated over and over again. Uh, they must have been Okies uh, in Israel. <laughs> Remember, you've got to tell us several times before it gets through to us. So they must have been that way. So God made sure that he told them over and over again, you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work then. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord seven days. In the seventh day a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. So now we, we have the basis of what God um, is doing, where he has been, what he has uh, accomplished uh, in the past, and, and leading up. All of this um, were types looking forward to something so special, so wonderful, so true, uh, that it is, sometimes it's really hard to, to, to know how God worked all of this out, brought his son down and worked through, through that and the sacrifice that he had and, and then purging us from our sins. 1 Corinthians, I think that's uh, supposed to be 5, not 15, by the way. Sorry about that. I got a one stuck in there that I shouldn't have gotten in, uh, gotten in there, but if you want to correct that, it should be 1 Corinthians 5 and not 15. Although I do look 1 Corinthians 15, too, but for, <laughs> for today's message, let's, let's go to 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. It's interesting that Paul was inspired to write something that maybe we would not have understood quite as well if he had not written this in there. Now, there was a problem in uh, Corinth. They, they had a little problem. The problem was a sinful problem, and the problem was in the church a sinful problem. And Paul says, it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and as such fornication is not much named among the Gentiles, the one should have his father's wife. Uh, I wish that was the only problem we had today. <laughs> I mean, I, not, not anything in the church. I'm just thinking about the outside, what's going on out there, and how it can influence people in the church, how it can influence, and how you might have to come out of that, you know, have to, have to come out of that. But anyway, this is what their problem was. And he says, you are puffed up, arrogant, you're puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that has done that deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have, <clears throat> have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit and the power of the Lord of Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So, and we also go by this, you know, we're, we, this is our instruction in the church to help us to understand that if there is a brother that is giving us problems, that we, we sometimes have to ask them not to come because of those problems. Your glorying is not good. Know you not. And here's where Paul helps us to understand that this is an important day. Know you not 
Your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for you. So you see Paul connecting the two, the Passover and the days through Christ, the days of unleavened bread. It is, these days are so beautiful, so powerful, so profound, that they marry so well into this. He says, therefore, let let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the, the unleavened, and the word bread is in italics, but you know, that's what God called, told us to do. We were to eat unleavened bread. So that's a correct um, interpretation. Unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. <clears throat> Let's see if we can look at this. These, this. these two words, malice and wickedness, are... Uh, how can I say it? Um, the basis of uh, sins, the basis of unrighteousness. They are um, deep. Uh, uh, can't even think of the words I want to use. Where a person is is very wicked, just like they were in the uh, uh, in before the flood. These these two words are are very strong words, and very very strong about. Uh, that uh, character that we had. So he was really putting some very strong things on on the the Corinthians. I wrote to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or of the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, for them must you needs to be out of the world. I mean, where can we go? They're everywhere. But now I have written to you not to keep company if a man um, that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or railer or drunkard or an extortioner with such a one not to even eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are outside? Do not you judge them that are inside, but them that are outside God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves the wicked person. And so, I mean, it's, it's very biblical and very, very much in that. And, but Paul shows us the importance of this day, putting out sin out of our life, putting those things away from us, not being puffed up, having a character in which we are putting sincerity and truth into our life. In Colossians, where Matt was a little earlier, but I want to read a, a couple of verses in in Colossians, because it's interesting that there are seven days. And I've always thought about this every time that we have the days of unleavened bread, and it's eat, 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 seven days. Eat unleavened bread. Eat, eat, unleavened bread. Eat, eat, seven days. And I go into the store, and what do I see? Leavening everywhere. My donuts are over here, my honey buns are over here, and uh, my bread is on this shelf, and my stuff is over there. And, oh, okay, I eat unleavened bread. All right, okay, I've, I've got it, I've got it down. I'm working on it, I'm working on it. <laughs> eat unleavened bread. So, 
In this verse here, it says, uh, let's find out where I'm at. I'm being so silly here. Um, verse 23. Let's start at verse 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settling, settled, and not being moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to you, every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for, for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am now uh, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery, the mystery, which has been hidden from the ages and from the generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And here is the key, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Seven days it represents Christ in you, the hope of glory. Every time you take a piece of unleavened bread, think about Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are looking forward to being in the kingdom of God. I am looking forward to being in the kingdom of God. I am looking forward to every one of you being in the kingdom of God and we all being together. This is the hope we have. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Christ in us. We read this on Passover, but it's important to read it today too. In John the 6th chapter. Because Christ really... When we think about the living bread, Jesus Christ, living in us, it is so profound. All that he has done, all that he continues to do, sitting at the right hand of the Father, as our high priest, as our advocate, and all the responsibilities he has, it is, it is profound. And when he came and he was talking to, you know, to, the, uh, to the people and the disciples, and they were all around him, and he made these statements, it was very, very unsettling for those people. I mean, you know, we read this on Passover night. They were very unsettled by what was read. In John, I'm just going to start in verse 28 over here. Um, I think that's where I want to start. Um, no, I think I wanted to start a little further down. Uh, let's, let's start in verse... Let's, well, let's verse 28. That's where I want to start. Then, then said to him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Well, when you believe on Jesus Christ, you're believing on the work that God is doing in your own life and in the lives of others who he dwells in. They said therefore to him, What sign show you then that we may see and believe you? What do you, uh, what do you work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, and is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he which came, came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then said they to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said, I am. I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that comes to, to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which he sent me, that of all which he has given me I shall uh, lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last days. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him shall have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up in the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And, he, and they said, uh, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I come down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and, and they shall uh, be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes to me. Not that any man has seen the Father, uh, save he which is of God, and he has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that believes on me, has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. During this time, Jesus and the bread of life, and I know that it is something that God created so that we could be reminded that we are taking in Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Seven days, it's a completion. Seven is complete. If you have that daily cycle, if you have that weekly cycle in which you're, you are close to God for that weekly cycle throughout your life, you are living the life that God wants you to live. If you are also recognizing the days that He set aside and you are here to worship on those days, you are recognizing the bread of life. He says. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness are dead. This is that bread of life that came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Now we're going to die physically, but he's, he gives us that hope that we will be in the kingdom and he will resurrect us. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which will I give for the life of the world. And we just, have, we just did the Passover. So that is what... Um, he was talking about he was going to give his life he was going to shed his blood and those emblems that we took on Passover night represented that sacrifice that we saw that we, you know, that we participated in I know everyone is familiar with this but think about it a little bit that's kind of scary I think when I read this I think God wants to live, you know, dwell in me? <laughs> Come on. 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. 
16. Know you not, <laughs> verse 16, know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which the temple you are. If you read that enough, it could be like the Israelites standing there wanting to go back into Egypt. God is dwelling in us if we are His. And that's what that bread represents. That He's, you know, that's the bread of life that we're taking in. We are like that temple. And in 1 Corinthians, right over, Paul just wanted to emphasize this. He wanted to emphasize this very strongly. In verse 19 of chapter 6, he says, what? Know you not that you are your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and that you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, when I was reading that, all of a sudden something came to mind. <laughs> all of a sudden something came to mind. What came to mind was what happened in Matthew, the 21st chapter, 12 and 13. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said, it is written... My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Every year when we come before God on the Passover night, what do we do before we come? We examine ourselves, don't we? And what happens? We take the emblems. We wash feet. We take the, the bread and we take the wine. And I think what's happening, as it does in the Day of in Atonement, God is, is making an atonement for us and sweeping his temple clean so that he can dwell again for another year in that temple. Maybe we should take these more seriously sometimes. I know in my life, sometimes I just get back into the old grind and I don't think about it very much. Maybe we should be a little bit more serious about the things that are written here. Understanding that we are the temple of the living God, that they dwell in us, that that is in our very being because the, we are given that earnest of the Spirit at baptism. You shall receive the Spirit of God. Not, you, uh, you know, not maybe. It's a positive that once you're baptized, you've, ex you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you shall receive the Holy Spirit. And because of the Holy Spirit, they come and they dwell in you. 
they come and they dwell in you and me. And when we're together, the Holy Spirit is all of us. And we come now in a holy convocation before God, and that Spirit now is a spiritual thing that God sees and realizes. My children, my children are here to worship me. And Jesus says, oh, all the brothers and sisters that have come to worship at our feet, to praise us, to honor us, to give us glory. Because the glory goes to God. It doesn't, you know, it's not me, it's not, not Matt. Not the glory goes to God. There do the glory for all they're doing, for all the plans that they're putting together. And so, Father, so, so brethren, let us keep the Moad and the feast. You know, we, uh, we all like to eat too. We all like to have good things. But let us keep the Moad, that, uh, that idea that it is something that God created a long time ago to show his plan, a special time. And let us keep it with the un leavened, let me get that right, unleavened, I did that, I did, I, I sat down, my wife punched me in the side, and she said, did you know you said leavened bread? <laughs> unleavened bread, with sincerity and truth, from today until the holy day on Friday at sunset, that's the feast of unleavened bread. And by the way, I have not covered anywhere near what can be covered, and Barnabas will have some more on that day.